0: A madman on a plane threatens disaster if the pilot doesn't follow their orders. But it's a whodunit at 30,000 feet, because no one knows which passenger is making these demands. Today we take flight with Captain Charlton Heston in Skyjacked. Welcome everyone to The Collector's Cut. I am Peter and joining me as always is David. Had a guy once fall asleep. Had his legs and his nuts blown off. This is a movie podcast. We get together and we talk about movies. We're working our way through 70s Disaster Movies Season 2 and today we're looking at a play in the movie. We're looking at Skyjack, starring Charlton Heston. So... That's what we're going to talk about today. Most people don't seem to know much about this one these days. I, you know, It took a bit of digging to find this. Um, I was going to say, I know nothing about this one going into it. Yeah. Uh, it's also one of the few movies that I've watched in a long, long time that is from a major studio, that being MGM, that has n- still not received seemingly a, a HD upgrade of any kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can only get it on, on a standard definition, DVD, that kind of thing. Uh, which is weird because like some really obscure things from MGM specifically do have HD versions now you can buy on iTunes or wherever else. So mm. uh, it is interesting that this is one that's just slipped through the cracks so far. But uh,
1: yeah, I, w- I wonder when MGM did most of their like HD upgrade stuff, like when they started that process, because if it was anywhere in like the seven years after nine eleven, I imagine this one they were just like, yeah,
0: let's not. Do that? Nah, I think that's a bit too early. I get why you're saying that, but mm. I, I don't think that would have been happening until a bit later. Uh, okay. particularly, particularly for this level of catalogue title. Like, maybe their biggest things they started doing in that time frame, but mm. it, probably, the, the, the you know, like if Dolph Lundgren's I Come in Peace from MGM is in HD, I don't see yeah. why Skyjacked uh, wouldn't be, but... Yeah, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into it, uh, we'll start spoiler free of course as we always do, uh, just before we get started I'll just remind everyone that if you are enjoying the show, please do hit the like button and you can support everything by going over to patreon.com slash TV. me and David do a couple of bonus monthly movie review shows over there, we'll tell you more about them at the end of the show, but we'll get into Skyjacked for now, so uh, this, is a, this is I mean obviously the title makes it quite obvious what it is it's a plane that gets hijacked, that's not you know rocket science, it makes a decent amount of sense. Here, I thought it was an earthquake movie. God. <laughs> Although, Earthquake does star Charlton Heston, so maybe you're just crossing your wires. That's what it was.
1: Yep. I saw the plane, Charlton Heston there, I said, oh, clearly he's going to try to do, like, a 2012 kind of takeoff, where the whole Earth's falling beneath him. That's what's going to happen.
0: So, yeah, uh, that's actually is interesting in that it plays out like a bit of a whodunit for half the movie. It's a mystery is who the bad guy is, and it Kind of teases, It kinda of, it's got like almost anonymous messages informing the pilot and co of the fact that there is a threat. So someone on the plane is the terrorist, but we don't know mm-hmm. who. And it kind of does some stuff with that, and then it goes places in the second half, which we'll obviously get to in spoilers. But uh that is that's the basic gist of it. We we well we'll, we'll get into it. I mean yeah. David, what did you think of Skyjacked? I didn't like it. I guess I'll just be upfront. I didn't...
1: It's not that I hated it. It's not that it's like a poorly made movie. But I think that it's one of those that we had the same problem with with Cyclone, where they had an idea for like this kind of story. But the thing that makes these sort of movies work is having the attachment to the characters. And while I think they gave an attachment to... One and a half characters in this movie, there's still a cast of like ten that they give focus to, and I gotta say the remaining eight and a half are just completely who cares like the whole way through they give them little subplots they do their best, but all in all, they're just set dressing for the majority of it uh add on top of that as much as it is a it is a disaster movie in the same way that like airport is a disaster movie, obviously. It's still not a whole lot of like big set pieces to it. It's kind of just a smaller scale thing with more tension and dread. That's not to say it, it can't work like that, but I've just it's not what I kind of wanted out of this. I guess is the biggest thing.
0: Yeah, I think I'm more positive than you actually. That's fair. Uh, um, I think for me, I think the first half was actually surprisingly strong. it, it, it kind of lost me a little bit in the back half we still did some interesting things in the back half but i think because we didn't know who the bad person was right Mm -hmm. in the first half of the movie who the antagonist was there was a little bit of fun of like well any of these like characters in this first class section who have been you know we get a sort of rough introduction to most of them you know we kind of know their faces maybe not their names but you know that's whatever but Mm -hmm. we get used to who a lot of these characters are so it's like okay could it be this person could it be that person I think where it maybe drops the ball is that it doesn't really give them much to do or put them in much jeopardy directly in the second half of the of the movie. There's a sort of fun bit in the middle that I think does use them well. And then after that it feels that like they're just baggage. Uh but I, I would argue yeah. that for the first half of the movie or so, uh it feels like they're on course, pardon the pun, to <laughs> to, to you know, to have a, a compelling story overall with all these minor players playing a part in it. But it does kind of lose its way a little bit in the second half. Uh, yeah. But that said, though, I, I think the comparison to Cyclone is batshit insane. This has so much more plot than Cyclone. Oh, you're yeah. absolutely nuts for even it, suggesting they are similar.
1: It had it has more plot. I'm not going to argue that point. It definitely <laughs> has more plot. But I think character development-wise is where I was making the comparison in that oh, I, I feel like... That is fair. That is totally yeah. fair. You're right. The, the first half feels like it, or not even the first half, I would say, because... If I'm being honest here, I think they oversold their hand because about 15 minutes into this, we get the first like bomb threat. We get the thing of like, oh, you're going to divert this plane. But then I think that they hint too hard as to who it is. Not like five minutes later, because I was like, well, it's got to be that person. And then I was right. And from that, like, it didn't feel like there was a mystery at all because they just showed too much on the person that it ended up being. From my perspective, at least.
0: I mean, I can get that. Uh, To to me, I can almost see that more as in the moment convincing myself that it's probably a red herring because it maybe does seem a bit too Mm. obvious. And it was maybe even a surprise almost then that it was that person. Because, like, no, I was convinced this was a red herring because it was too obvious. But uh, that didn't necessarily hinder anything for me in the first half of the movie. I I was kind of into the fun of, like, okay, who is it? I like that it played out kind of like a thriller where it kind of pays attention to these weird details. For example, in the opening sequences, it keeps focusing on this, uh, this stand in the airport. There's this little kiosk selling mm-hmm. lipstick. And it keeps getting back to it and focusing on the lipstick on the counter. And I'm like, why do we keep looking at this? What is this movie trying to tell me? And obviously, it does play a part in the, the ongoings of the movie later and you yeah. realise why we were focusing on it. But in the moment, you don't really understand. So... Um, I think it's relatively well directed as well. Um, oh yeah, it's it's got a a reasonable bit of style. It handles the tension fairly well. I I think it's male's better than Cyclone. I'd probably argue it's a little bit better than uh, what else have we done recently? I'd probably say it's a bit better than Roller Coaster, The Swarm. I'd say it's better than The Swarm for sure. Yeah, it's not but, hard. Yeah, uh, Juggernaut. Before
1: that, I don't think it's as good as Juggernaut. Juggernaut had some better tension to it. <laughs> I,
0: I, they're comparable to me they're mm. I, I, which one i'm saying is better i'm not really sure in the moment but they're 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 kind of in the same ballpark and that's kind of the level where okay we're operating at here at least at least it's the way i'm seeing it so no that's I, fair that's
1: I, yeah. I i i think that this movie did a great job with tension it does um these like very quick cuts like it holds on somebody's face for a while and then does like a very quick cut to Something else, and it just kind of like jolts the audience a little bit of like, oh god, something's happening. It feels like this high tension building up. But I think that on the flip side of that, there's like two or three flashback segments in this that I think are the hokiest thing I've seen in one of these movies in a while. They're just fluff. They are well,
0: but like, well, actually, barring one, there's one that's important, but there is because because it's not really a flashback. More on Mm -hmm. that in spoilers. But yep. yeah, the the flashbacks just sort of hinting at some of the past relationships of some of the characters. Yeah, they're just mm-hmm. these dreamlike memories of like, oh, I love you And the swing. It's, it's, she's, uh... Yeah, she's literally like on a
1: swing, just turning to Charlton Heston. She's like, oh, I love you so much. And I'm <laughs> like, what in the hell is this? This is like, <laughs> a, this is a Hallmark movie
0: now. It, and that was the thing where one of the first one of those comes in the first half and i was actually quite enjoying the movie at that point and mm-hmm. it hit that scene and i went well that's just a weird thing i'm going to ignore because it just felt like out yeah. of place and it, yeah. You know, yeah once it was and it wasn't it didn't last too long it's like 30 seconds maybe it's back mm-hmm. to the action and i'm like okay right we're back to what i'm enjoying about the movie which is the the tension the slow build the, keeping it a secret from the passengers for x amount of time because we're trying mm-hmm. to handle it without them getting all panicked and things like that it's got that sort of level of uh escalation that one of these types of movies should have mm. um i think as it goes on there is maybe kind of like once you get to the motivation of the of the culprit and the, the back half it does flounder a little bit there i think yeah although The ultimate result of it, I do think, is quite entertaining. I I, I think just a couple of little rewrites of maybe that back half of the movie might have just brought it up to a more solid overall kind of standard. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think what I needed more is
1: either we give everybody more attention, we give more focus to all of these sort of B characters that, like I said, are essentially just set dressing by the end of it, or we give... Charlton Heston, the full like Gene Hackman treatment as he was in Poseidon Adventure, where he is the leader and he is the one who is personally taking this. It felt by the end of it like he still was in this weird sort of middle ground where if it were an ensemble cast, he would have been perfectly well developed. But because they focused
0: so heavily on him, he didn't feel that well developed to me. I think that's what they were going for, though. They were wanting him to be the Gene Hackman of this.
1: Yeah, it just didn't feel like it went far enough. Like, the the only thing that I have in terms of character motivation is that he had an ex-love interest who was also on this plane and he was previously in the military. But, like, everything else, it just seems like he's just a generic sort of hero guy who's just trying to do the right thing and save these people. It no, doesn't feel like he has a deeper motivation
0: for I it. I think that's fair. And I want to make it clear, as I'm saying, I was enjoying this. I was enjoying it at the level it was giving it to me. Mm-hmm. I I think I agree that all these characters could be better developed and it would make it possibly a great movie if it actually achieved that. Mm -hmm. But as it was, I was enjoying it for the things it was doing well, which was the direction and the playfulness of the plot and like teasing who was who and like just all the survival elements of like trying to manage the crisis. Because fundamentally, a disaster movie at its core is managing a crisis. And those elements of it, I was actually quite enjoying. It was never going to be one of the best there was, because, yeah, like even the main character Charlton Heston plays isn't as developed as you'd perhaps want to actually really capitalize on the story you're telling. Mm. Um, This uh, this idea that he's got a sense of duty to keep his passengers safe, that's great, but if they really went into that a bit more, that'd be something. Um. Mm. That said, though, some of the things that aren't quite as good in the back half do sort of almost tip over the line into kind of fun, like B movie kind of territory. Yeah, I get and, what you're saying. Yeah, and I, I you know, and I'm looking forward to sort of talking about that. Um, I, yeah, I, I think it's it's weird. It sounds like I'm probably defending it more than I should, just because I feel like you're being a little more harsh than you probably should. If that makes sense, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, cause, I'll, I'll I'll go ahead and say worst movie of all time
1: below the room now defend that
0: we literally do a show called extra reels where (laughs) this is better than every single movie we've done on that show
1: all right i concede my point not the worst (laughs) movie of
0: all time so yeah i i I think it's a decent if you like this type of movie i think it's a decent watch to a point Uh, it has some quirks but it doesn't rise above into sort of great or like But as far as some of the movies that have had fancy HD presentations and special editions and have been remembered better, this is definitely Mm. better than a lot of them. This deserves it more than some of the things that have had better treatment. So uh, Mm -hmm. there was a moment in the middle, though, because you were making the, the statement earlier on that you were thinking... Uh, maybe if this was if they were doing all these HD masters soon after nine eleven, maybe that was why they didn't want to do this. There was a mm-hmm. moment where I didn't know where it was going in the middle, where I thought it was going to be very, very close to real world events, and that's why maybe uh... it had been left in the past. I'll mention more specifically when we get to it in spoilers because otherwise mm-hmm. it's spoil end. But I was thinking, oh, is this literally just going to be like that, but for a different target? Because I thought yeah. it might be at a certain point, and I think I see where you're going with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. And that's maybe why they're trying to just let this... Just stay forgotten. Just let this stay buried and let's not mm. talk about it anymore.
1: Like, don't get me wrong. They'll take my two ninety nine when I go to rent it off of YouTube. But they're not going to put in the money to
0: HD remix it. Uh <laughs> oh, dear. So, yeah. Uh, as far as the cast go, obviously we've got Heston. Charlton Heston plays Charlton Heston like he usually does. Uh, he's got good screen presence, but he is kind of... Usually the same type of character, I would yeah. I would argue. Uh other notable people here, we got James Brolin. That's Josh Brolin's dad, for anyone who's not familiar. I I'm gonna say it here
1: just because I I don't want to say it later on. I in this age, I don't know what it is. All I can see when I look at him is Christian Bale. Like he looks exactly like Christian Bale in like a Batman Begins era. Do
0: you not see that? Never never occurred to me once. That's all I was seeing. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I never saw it once. Uh, other notable actors, not that I recognize them per se, but at least seem to have other credits from this time period, uh, is mm-hmm. Yvette and Mimu? Mimu? It, it's
1: French. It's French. A lot
0: of Yeah, it's Susan Day, Claude Atkins uh, is mm-hmm. in there. Um, notably, I, I looked up the director, just curious. Uh, John, what's his name here? John Gillerman. And he actually went on to direct The Tower and Inferno uh, oh. a couple of years after this. So there's a little connection to a previous movie. Look uh, at that. He, he also went on to do the 70s version of King Kong and Death in the Nile in the 70s as well. So, All right. Yeah. So he's, he's None- got some credits from around that time. Yeah.
1: Not a bad little thing there. I'm looking for beforehand, not seeing a lot of things that I recognize, though. I'm sure there's some that stick out to people who are more familiar with 50s films.
0: Yeah, it's got quite a list there. I'm not noticing anything super sticking out at me, but uh, I'm sure. i yeah, I don't know. But either way, uh, jumping on the uh, the disaster movie bandwagon, and th- this is only mm-hmm. what two years after Airport, so this was probably green lit right after that movie was a hit. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, and maybe that's another reason why this has been kind of just left forgotten is because well Airport was the one that started it, and this is clearly. Not only is it a disaster movie following in its wake, but it's directly doing an airplane plot, which feels like it's the probably yeah. the most like knockoff feeling of the entire slate. It
1: feels to me when they greenlit this, they weren't sure whether or not it was the disaster aspect that sold well with audiences or it was the airplane aspect.
0: And they were just kind of hedging their bets on both until the market shook itself out. Yeah, because I mean, Poseidon Adventure was 71, so that came out a year give or take after but this would have already been in production no of doubt. course yeah yeah so yeah they, they come thick and fast it's just interesting mm-hmm. that uh this director went on do another disaster movie yep. so uh as far as far as uh anything else goes though uh, before we get to spoilers um the miniature work for the planes is, is solid enough for the time period you know
1: i was actually unsure how much of it was miniatures and how much they decided like look we could we just rented a plane. Let's just go ahead and film it for a while. Because some I, there were some clearly that were miniatures. There's no way they could have like made it work otherwise. But there were some shots in there that I'm like, this seems pretty advanced if they were trying to do it with just miniatures.
0: I think typically when you're seeing it in the sky, it's probably a miniature. Maybe there's some exceptions, but mm. I, I feel like it probably is uh that said though it wouldn't surprise me if there is some big moments where okay we've got one day where we get to get a few real shots of the plane in the sky so maybe we can yeah yeah you know. obviously there's a lot of stuff in the runway and things where they're having to use a real plane or at least parts of a real plane for the the shots again yeah. so no uh so yeah i mean i think honestly we'll get into the spoilers uh admittedly i imagine most people won't have seen this who are watching our project going to stick around for the spoilers to hear what it's about and that's fine, but if you do want to yep. opt out and go watch the movie, wherever you can find it, then uh, here's your, your chance to do so.
1: I will say, if you do manage to go find it, try to avoid the little blurb that associates with the movie, because at least on IMDb, it just straight up spoils who it is. Oh, okay, so, okay.
0: Very good. Yeah, Good to know, good to know. Uh, so, spoilers, from this point on, you have been warned for Skyjacked. Uh, I actually I a little stylistic choice that I really liked here is that the opening titles don't play until yeah. the plane takes off. And there's a good, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes, maybe not quite that, but it felt like a good yeah, chunk like of time. Seven, eight yeah. minutes, somewhere in there. You know, and it sets up some of the characters getting on the plane. It sets up, you know, Charlton Heston checking the plane before he gets on. And mm. of course, the, the giant mistake. He, like, okay, we always joke about how airport security is very lax compared <clears> to <throat> modern day. But... Like a guy literally gets onto the plane by asking, "Hey, this this chair's technically free because there's a, it's a cello that's taking up the seat. Can I mm-hmm. can I just get on the plane?" and he's like and the captain just approves it by like saying, "Yeah, put his name on that ticket." And I'm like, yep. "There is no way you could easily just get someone on a plane like that today." Not a chance.
1: I I appreciate the fact that uh, the person specifically is uh, James Brolin. He is like dressed in military garb so he's trying to also play on like the soldier sympathy he's yeah. like i'm a poor vet who just needs to get to his sister's wedding can there, please sir
0: they're definitely that's definitely a part of it. it's definitely one of the themes of the movies that he is he is he was in the military and perhaps was even banking on wearing the uniform and he was asking for this help to mm-hmm. you know get him on the plane but it focuses yep. on a few things you see him the captain that is you see him run into the main air hostess that's on the plane, Angela, who mm. clearly has got a history with, but she's now with the first officer or the co cap or co-pilot, whatever his yeah. rank is. So it sets up that. I thought I was going to do more with that, because <laughs> they set this up at the start and it never right. really did much with it.
1: That's the but- problem I have with every single cast member, is it's like they set up all this stuff at the beginning of, they're like, oh no, pay attention to this, it's really going to be important for a later bit, and then just poof, gone. We ignore it. It never happens again.
0: Yeah. I I don't know. Most of the other people to set up, though, don't have something that is going to pay off later. There's specifically two that piss me off. There's a U.S.
1: senator who apparently gets a call from Washington very early on in this flight saying, like, the moment you land, get your ass to D.C. And then there's the senator's son who has a relationship with this girl who actually finds the bomb threat first. None of those matter
0: at all. No, nah, the the senator thing's a red herring because you're 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 meant to think that this is happening to this plane because he's on it. Mm. That does have a purpose. I, I'm That's going to disagree fair. with on that one. That's uh fair. I think the the his son being attracted to this this girl on the plane and them kind of hitting it off. It's just maybe two people you care about. That is one of the ones that I say I would say yeah. The second half should have had some more payoff to them. Mm. Um, maybe one of them scared and the other one comforts the other or something. They don't do too much with that. I would agree with that. But yep yeah uh yeah but yeah like i said it keeps focusing on this lipstick saleswoman and like <laughs> specifically the lipstick being sold and it does that sort of almost pov shot of her like selling it you know putting it in a bag and giving it to someone mm-hmm. and it's like okay we'll see where that goes but you know eventually the plane takes off and that's when it comes up saying you know charlton heston blah 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 in skyjacked. and skyjacked i'm like okay that's just a nice little It felt like a a big deal that the plane took off. You know, this sort of made it feel like it was an epic moment where now they're in the air, now they're vulnerable. Time for the movie to start.
1: It made it feel like, okay, there's no turning back from this point on. Up until here, everyone who's on the plane is going to be on the plane. Everyone that you've seen, they're in this now. And then when it comes up with Skyjacked, even if you didn't know the movie you were watching going into it, like anything about the plot, you can then recognize just from the name, like, they're screwed yeah, something's they're in, about
0: to go wrong they're in trouble now it, it's really yeah. i think it's smart direction i think the direction is probably the strongest element mm-hmm. of the movie it handles the material quite well i but aside from maybe the weird dreamlike flashbacks that's moving yeah. from the one the one thing that sticks out has been a bit odd but once they're in the air they, they, they kind of focus obviously there's a hundred plus passengers on this plane but most of them are in the economy section we don't really focus mm-hmm. on them that's just a mass of people by the first class section, because it's near the cockpit, is the one that we kind of pay attention to. And we've got yep. this big guy who's a musician. It's his cello that was taking up a seat before, and it's now being stored elsewhere. He's sitting mm-hmm. next to James Brolin, who's the, the vet. Um, and then you have the senator and his son, the girl that he senators, the senator's son's into. There's a pregnant woman uh, who's... I'll
1: be I'll be honest. Pregnant woman was the only one that I was still like... 50-50 on even after I thought like I figured it out. She was the one that I thought could have swerved it around the other way. She's
0: not really pregnant. She's carrying a bomb under her stomach. Well, the very first thing is they, <laughs> they, they they bring her like the cart and they're just
1: like, oh, well, you have anything to drink? And they offer her up some milk because she's like nine months pregnant. And she's like, oh, I'll have a
0: Bloody Mary on the rocks. And like, I, th- I think that's just the 70s. <laughs> Yeah, I've don't yeah, I, don't, cause, yeah, I I've got a problem with her drinking while pregnant, but I feel like the 70s were a bit more accepting of such behavior.
1: Well, I mean, double down on that. The moment that they uh, show Charlton Heston sitting down in the cockpit, he just smokes up a cigarette. That's a pipe. And just, it's like, yeah, all right. Oh, it's a pipe. Yeah. yeah. Either way, he's still
0: smoking in the cockpit.
1: I'm like, I don't think that's allowed anymore, yeah. guys.
0: It's always a pipe. It, it, just, it stuck out because it was a weird, you know, a more, mm. I don't know, old fashioned thing to do, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so we're interested in these various characters. also a sort of wealthy couple who are talking... That uh, You know what? I'll give you these two, because they mentioned that they're being transferred to Minnesota, which is where this plane's supposed to be going, Minneapolis hmm. specifically. Um, And it felt like it was setting up plot with these two, which never goes anywhere. I felt like at least no. everyone else still factored in in some way as things were unfolding in the first half, whereas these two, for the most part, didn't. But Honestly, I couldn't
1: have told you, like, who they were, because I, I kind of just mentally glossed over their first conversation. I recognized it was happening, and I took the words in, but I was like, ah, if they're important, we're going to get more with them later. And then we got maybe one more conversation where the whole thing was they have the guy pull out some paperwork and say, oh, I didn't file the flight insurance. It's like, and? What? I don't... Who are you? Why are you here? What are you doing? Well, I saw you for not paying attention earlier. They introduced these two. But, like, what do they do? That's the thing. They don't do anything. They are literally set dressing.
0: Sure, but you can't complain. You can't say, who are you? That's set them up. They're here.
1: I get that. I understand (laughs) that. But, like, you say they're a wealthy couple and you say they're being transferred and whatnot. But, like, how does that relate to this plot? That's what I'm saying. I don't understand (laughs) who they are in relation to anything going on in the movie. They, it sounds like they just got their own movie off to the side where like he's trading stocks on the plane or something.
0: Look, I started off by saying I don't think they did anything with these characters.
1: I'm not no, disagreeing agree. with you. <laughs> I agree, but then you're saying that it's on me. I wasn't paying attention, but no, clearly the movie wasn't doing anything either.
0: No, specifically about the thing you said later, where he's like, who are you? Like, what like, they set it up.
1: <laughs> comedic exaggeration, Pete. Come on now. Clearly, I know that they had a scene with them, but I got to end my Thing with something punchy. <laughs> oh, I feel it like being punchy. Yeah. <laughs> so... right. You know, I just... I I, well, I recently... I, this will give away when we were filming, but I recently watched Tara's uh, Top 50. Oh, sure, yeah. And um, she made the point of how I agree with you a bit too much and I need to be more Oh, so you're just art- with you. You're <laughs> just artificially inflating it for no reason? No, not at all. I actually feel this way, but it's also... Selling the point that I need to be a bit more combative here. <laughs> well, your feelings are stupid, so
0: <laughs> enough of it. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, anyway, things get going because the, uh, the the young woman that the senator's son's into, uh, that's the character Ellie, played by Susan Day. Mm-hmm. So, just so I've got something to call her. Kelly, yeah. right. She she goes to the bathroom and there's like two bathrooms, like side by side. And the the, you know, the senator's son comes out of one and she's getting into the other. And the, he makes a little flirty comment. It's whatever. And she goes into the bathroom and we don't see her go in and we don't see what happens inside. She just comes back out and comes over to the you know Angela, the the hostess, and is like, hey, hey, uh, there's a message in the bathroom. You have to go read it. And but she's very serious. And I sort of I liked how they did this because I was like, oh, I'm kind of excited. I I, I sort of realized. Oh, this is the start of the hijacking plot, whatever she's seen. And yeah. sure enough, you know, she goes in, uh, and we we still don't see it. We don't see it till the captain sees it, I don't think. Uh she mm-hmm. goes and gets the captain and is like, Captain, you better come out here and look in the bathroom. And he goes in and we finally see it, and it's the messages written in lipstick on the, the mirror, finally sort of revealing what the lipstick purchasing was all about. Yeah. So, I I actually love the way that she
1: alerted Angela, because she she did it in such a roundabout way, but she was like, Uh ma'am, there's some lipstick in the bathroom. Somebody left some lipstick in the bathroom. And just like, And Oh, you're right. Who, I did like, like this phrasing. You're right. I did yeah, like this. Like, who cares? And it's like, no, no, no. They left it on the mirror. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and no, I like the way they phrased it as well. Now you bring it up because when she as soon as she said lipstick, you're like, wait a minute. Like mm. you your main makes that link to all those ominous shots at the start yeah. and you realize that this is this is what it is. So the captain sees it, and it says, divert the plane to Alaska right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. Specifically, I'm trying to remember the name. Anchorage. Anchorage. I think that's the one. Um, There's like three cities in Alaska. You just take a pick. I feel like I only know Anchorage as a place because it was the DLC to Fallout 3. Is the only reason why I know Anchorage as a city. That's fair.
1: I mean, I just know it because it's Anchorage or Juno, Juno. Those are the only two cities I know. And I, I know there's a third, but I can't remember it. Never heard of that one. Yeah. That's the capital. Juno's like, the capital of Alaska. I feel like Alaska is just Alaska. It, it, it. I mean, you're right. Like everything, <laughs> everything north of the southern coastline is essentially just barren wasteland, but. <laughs> uh, uh, no offense
0: to Alaskans. Uh, yeah. All one of you who watch this in your igloos. <laughs> um, so. It's like okay, so we've got the threat, and Heston has to kind of take it seriously. He's like, okay, all right, like we have to assume that there's some truth to this, and but of course, one of the passengers saw this message, so that so he has to kind of go over and be like, like you can't tell anyone about what you just saw, and also mm-hmm. on the chance that this is just you playing some kind of prank you won't get into trouble if you just admit to it now. Like, just... Because, obviously, that's what you want. Nothing would make this easier than her just to say, okay, yeah, I'm just playing a prank. It was me. There's no threat. Yeah. Right? That would mm. that would solve everything. But she's like, yeah, I won't tell anyone. Sure, I'll stay up here. I'll be calm. But, uh, no, I'm, I didn't do it. Like, this, I, this is not me. <laughs> I especially love the fact that she wasn't
1: actually a first-class passenger. She just kind of, like, snuck up there to use the bathroom. But now that she, like, has seen this and all that... Charlton Heston says, well, okay, well, why don't you go back to your seat? And she's like, no, I think I'll stay up here. No, you're you're wrong. She was a first
0: class passenger. She was first class? Because there was a moment when she was on the plane where Angela assumes she isn't because of how she's dressed because she was being kind of snooty about it. Oh, and then right. she's like, no, I'm first class, miss. And she's like, oh, okay.
1: Yeah, no, there was just a bit where um, Charlton Heston, when she's talking to him, he says like, oh, well, why don't you go back to your seat? And she says, no, I'll stay up here. I, th- I thought that was just implying that back there was economy and up here was first class. If there was something saying she was in first class, then so be it. I'm not going to argue that too much.
0: Oh, no, to be fair, like, the first class section of this plane didn't look that first class by today's standards. It looked like there's a bit more leg room, but otherwise it looked kind of... Whereas today, when I imagine first class, I imagine... I don't know, like... You've got room to, like, turn it into a bed, basically, if you want to. Yeah, I think that's business
1: class nowadays. I think First Class is just basically like, you're not actual cattle.
0: <laughs> I feel like a lot of planes don't have First Class anymore. They just have business and economy. They don't have yeah. like the in-between. But I, again, I, I mean, it was the 70s. I don't know what the, like, the makeup of this stuff mm-hmm. was at the time. But yep. yeah, First Class didn't look that impressive to me by... Uh, Not that I've ever flown first class or business class, because I have not. not. not at all.
1: (laughs) Look, the fact that you still had to be, like, sitting next to someone regardless, that's not first class to me. I want to be able to sit by myself in a row.
0: Yeah. Yeah, when I think of first class or business class now, I think of, like, you're on your own little island with Mm -hmm. room all around you, and you've got all sorts to, you know, you could stretch if you want, you can do whatever. Um but it's, it's only first class we really get to spend the time with, which makes sense because they're right next to where all the action is. Because it's the... Yeah, they,
1: they have Angela specifically say somewhere in here, like, okay, could anybody in economy have written this message? And she's like, nope, that bathroom is specifically
0: first class, so it's only these people that we need to worry about being the terrorist. And the captain does say to her, well, so no one could have snuck through? Because that can happen sometimes, and she gets really offended. She's like, no, not in my plane. But basically, mm-hmm. she's saying, I'm the one who who's, you know, the security head on that. Yeah. No one gets past me if they're not meant to be up here. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, all right, all right, all right. I won't, I won't argue yeah. with you. Yeah. You know? uh, so, yeah. So it's, it's, it's like this little part of the movie where we know there's a threat. They, they call it in, obviously, to, to, you know, to fight control and all that stuff. And The FBI. The FBI. And they're like, okay, is there a chance this is a hoax? And they're like, well, it could be, but like, we kind of have to treat it seriously um so they're talking about okay can we change route like uh, the sky's clear so and so on. What's the weather like all, all the stuff that pilots would be checking for this kind of thing
1: do you happen to
0: remember where they were taking off from i do not have a clue where they were t- i know they were going to uh, minneapolis, minneapolis but i don't right. know where they were taking off from
1: because i i'm picturing this from my home state which is east coast i'm picturing it of from there to minnesota and then trying to make the skip all the way up to Alaska seems ridiculous to me. So I have to assume they started, like, West Coast, probably. Yeah, Something where I, I would they would easily
0: able to change. Yeah, I would think somewhere in the mid to upper West Coast, where changing would be feasible in the amount of fuel they had. Because they do mention mm. when they get to Anchorage that they're just getting there in the fuel in no more. Right. So, um yeah, because obviously later on when the, the bad guy like, all right, now we're going to Moscow. I'm like, wait, can you even make it there? And the captain says they can't. And the guy's like, no, no, I've done my research. The reason why I picked this plane is because you will just get to Moscow from this. If you refuel in Alaska, you can get to Moscow from here. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. He's, he's answering the question I had. So yeah. I, can't, I can't, you know. But that's the thing. If it's a plane that's designed for just, you know, in, you know not international travel, just national travel, they, yeah, domestic. They, there's, a, there's a there's a good chance that the planes they're using aren't actually big enough to hold the fuel that would go that trip. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a reasonable question to to be asking. But yeah, uh, he's done his math apparently, so the they, they know what they're oh, doing. Oh, good. The terrorists plan things out. Great. Well, he's not exactly all there, as we find out over the course no. of the movie. So it, it wouldn't have surprised me if he if he'd forgotten to carry a one somewhere and they realize halfway like over the Arctic. Uh, actually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this, maybe we may not make it on this wait, hold on, hold on this is a Boeing 707?
0: Ah, oh, crap, Jesus <laughs> we're all gonna die <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, all, all this stuff is uh I was having fun with this stuff I was having this fun with them debating with each other okay, who could it be, and they're going through the passenger list and saying, hey that cello, that big cello case that's sitting there in the, the, the cabin there, like, could the bomb be in that and, like should we go and check? He's like, well, no, because we're not bomb squad. I don't want to risk sending it off if it is in there. So let's not yeah. do it hasty. Again, makes sense. But they're debating like, okay, what passengers could it be? Like, there's a senator on this plane, and Heston's like, hey, we get a message for the senator that he has to go and talk to the president. That's like rare. That's not something that happens well, on normal flights.
1: Yeah, it's it's not even that because they obviously if he was a real senator, which I think is easy enough to verify, it's not something that's yeah. all that hard to believe that he's good to go it's specifically that the message they got was not go see the president it was signed by the president mm. to go see him and it's like no you got a direct line from the president that's weird like that it's not even from like a white house aide or something so we're gonna just call into question what's that
0: about bro Joe, I almost feels like because it doesn't really come up again i mean it never really like turns out oh this is going on it almost feels like a subplot here to heighten the tension towards the end would be that, no, there is actually a bit of a diplomatic crisis with the Soviets right now. Right. And that's what that message was about. And that would feed into, oh, this is making things more tense at the end because there's more of a reason for why they'd be mistrusting of anything coming into the country.
1: Yeah, I feel like they should have had a sequence where, like, you know, they call over the intercom and say, all right, everybody, we'll maybe be arriving at Moscow in six hours or whatever. And then the senator demands to speak to the captain and the... uh terrorist is also there and he's like hey the whole reason i was supposed to go talk to the president is because this crazy thing is happening right now if we land in moscow we are like dead we should not be doing this and that would just up the tension significantly from there do uh, russians pronounce moscow moscow are you
0: right and i'm wrong
1: i pronounce it moscow but yeah i could easily i i mean i've tried to pronounce half of your scottish town names i've been wrong every time
0: well so (sighs) It may very well be pronounced that way cuz it is obviously a very different country. But I know Americans also try and say Glasgow as Glasgow and it's wrong. So I just that's assume you're wrong about Moscow yeah. as well. So Yeah, probably. But I'm just I'm I'm just mentioning. It. I'm just pondering the idea. Maybe someone in the comments can tell us what the correct Wor- pronunciation of Moscow is. Worcestershire. Is that right? <laughs> Worcestershire.
1: More or less. Worcestershire. All right. See, that's the one I learned. That's how I know how to say that. <laughs>
0: Uh, so uh, so around this part uh, the captain uh, Heston that is uh, says get that senator in here I want to talk to him so he comes in and he explains what's going on he cuts away we don't hear all the you know we already know what the audience so we don't have to hear the whole thing we just cut Mm -hmm. back and he's clearly told the senator what's going on and he's like is this about you do you think this has got something to do with you and he's like no, really, I'm not that important. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's yeah. you know, it's, it's. Uh, I, but then they specifically ask, like, "Okay, but then what was the president think about?" It? He's like, "Well, I can't tell you that. That's national
1: security." But he
0: does, he does say that was, but does maybe build some intrigue that we're going to find out something later and then never do. <laughs> so fair, that's a fair point. But uh, so it's like okay, and then around this part as well, like the cellist, who's like a, you know, a pretty big guy. He's sitting next to uh, James Brolin's character, the vet, and he's like, "Hey, something's going on." They keep meet, talking to each other outside the cockpit. Something's fishy's going on, and it's like, "Okay, is he is he paying attention because he's the bad guy, or is he just genuinely noticing this? Because there is something going on." He's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and well, see, my thing with that
1: sequence is he's talking to the vet next to him. And the vet is just like, ah, I don't know, who cares, whatever. And he's getting wasted. Like, he's taking some Benzedrine in order to control, like, like, nerves, I guess. And then he's also taking this guy's whiskey that he snuck onto the plane. So, collectively, this guy is, the vet is gone. But as he's talking to the cellist, he's basically just like, ah, eh, whatever, no big deal. And then the cellist, and this is the part, if I'm being honest with you, is where they oversold their hand. And the cellist said, he raised the bottle of whiskey and says like, oh, well, here's to your sister. And he goes, who? She's like, oh, your sister, the one who's getting married. And he's like, mm. oh, yeah, she's a bitch anyway. Like, I don't know, something in that delivery I thought was just overselling it. And I was like, prime suspect. He's the guy now. And I, mean, I want the movie to prove me wrong.
0: It definitely told me he was lying about the, the wedding he was going to, but mm-hmm. I... I Again, I just thinking. Oh, like I think everyone they're setting up here is a red herring, like or potentially a red herring. Like, you know, they're giving That's me re- they're giving me reasons to think it could be a few different things. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I get it. Like, I, I he is kind of the most obvious one. Hmm. Maybe, maybe the idea that he's getting drunk is also meant to be a red herring because, like, oh, he couldn't be the hijacker because he's he's blind drunk. Like, how's he going to be doing anything?
1: Yeah, I mean, I. I see where it's coming from. I guess I just took it more on like a surface level than in thinking that there was going to be some twist to it. I just mm. kind of because it, for there to be some twist, there needs to be the ability to like have these people move around or like do things that are able to get set up to it. Whereas boarding a plane, I don't feel like you really have all that much you can work with, you know, it's whatever you bring on the plane and that's it.
0: Well, obviously, yeah, but I think it's more about who's leaving these messages, because there's the one in the bathroom, and mm-hmm. then around this part of the movie there's a second one, there's a note left in the uh, the little cart with all the drinks on it that says, change course to Anchorage now, or everyone dies. Yeah, And it's like, okay, who could have left that note And to speculate? Oh, it could have been anyone in first class, because it's right next to the, where they're all sitting. Mm-hmm. It's, also, it's also in between where they're sitting in the bathroom, so anyone right. getting up to go to the bathroom could have potentially left that note. I'm... A- I'm actually
1: kind of surprised that this movie didn't try to bait us more with it being a woman because they mention the fact they're saying like, oh, it's lipstick. And they just kind of offhandedly say the idea of like, oh, what if it's just some broad who's on menopause or something like that? But they never actually really lean into the fact where they think it's a woman more than they think it's a man. Like they're open to all possibilities from the very beginning. I feel like it could have been much more of a misdirect if they kind of leaned into, oh, a pregnant woman that's quite a beautiful shade of lipstick you're wearing and like it just gives us that little misdirect in the beginning
0: i wonder if they predicted that the audience would see through that like we, we would think the characters were dumb for just assuming it's a woman because it happens to be lipstick when real in reality yeah. it doesn't really mean anything uh like you know they, they, they sort of ponder for a second and sort of move on because probably quite rightly really, it doesn't actually mean anything um uh, mm. but yeah, I know. I I get what you're saying. I, I think at this point in the movie I was just kind of having fun with the the, the the debates and like the, the, the they're not trusting each other because it's around this point when they're changing course where the passengers hmm. are clear that they're, they're all aware they're changing course. It's quite obvious. They're turning around.
1: I I have to assume that you're in the wide open sky. If you need to suddenly make like a turn, you can bank it over the course of like Several dozen miles without wonder, worrying about hitting anything the captain just is like alright Here comes the anchor route. hard left and everyone just kind of goes flying in their seats. Well, momentarily.
0: Can I, I'll play the devil's advocate here for a second mm-hmm. Is it possible that because they got a threat to change course or they'll set off the explosive that he's making it Very obvious. So the person behind it knows that they're uh, changing course
1: That's fair just in case they are like more amateur and
0: don't know anything about the plane. Yeah, okay All right, I'll accept that. That's fine. I'm just, I don't know. I don't know if that's what they're going for, but that was just the way I read it. I feel like it's it's
1: simple, because he gets over the intercom and says like, hey, everybody, there is a threat. We're changing course. There's no need to be alarmed. I feel like that would have been enough. I don't feel like they had to do a whole jerky motion to it. But again, it's like half, nobody really cares. Nobody's injured by him jerking the plane so suddenly. It's just a funny little sequence for me.
0: Yeah, they so they, they change course and he's he's basically announced over the comms what the situation is. Uh so the the, the passengers are all sort of starting to freak out, the, the the stewardesses are trying to keep them calm and all the rest of it. And it's around here where the cellist starts to suspect that the vets he's sitting next to him, might be the guy behind it, to the mm-hmm. point where he goes up and demands to speak to the captain. Uh, but he does it kind of covertly where he's like hiding behind the curtain where they're making the coffee and stuff. So he's in the little canteen area and the captain comes in. So they have this little private conversation behind the curtain and the captain assumes that he's the culprit. He's like, okay, yeah. you're, fi- you're finally speaking to me face to face. Why is you want to go to Anchorage? And he's like, what? It's not me. And I, I, maybe it's because it's Charlton Heston, but a part of me thought it, like, is this guy just assuming he's being racist because he happens to be black? Because I feel like yeah. he, he just jumped to that assumption and the guy's like, no, it's not me, but I think the guy I'm sitting next to the, the vet, I think it's him. And mm. of course, that, t- let's take us back to the start of the movie. This vet was let on personally by the cap. The captain came out and said, yeah, yeah, just scribble over his ticket. that this, this belongs to him. Now he blagged his way onto the flight with, seemingly no security because he's got a bag full of grenades <laughs> yeah with him so like the captain obviously feels responsible that this threat's even here after mm. this point because he let him on the plane so uh, yeah
1: i i do think there's a something that i think they could have given more focus to and that is we show the captain in the very beginning he strolls by the plane and he notices like this tiny little cuff under the wing is broken mm. And that obviously makes you think, okay, Captain, very able to spot these things, very much part of procedure. He knows what he's doing. And then they show him walking by Angela, by Angeli. And that's, I think, the point where they should have shown him a bit more, like, frazzled and a bit more, like, not following procedure. And that's the whole reason that this guy managed to get onto the plane.
0: He's off his guard because he's feeling feelings.
1: Yeah, because he's like, oh, God, I'm gonna have to ride this flight with my ex. This sucks. But by the time he gets to the gate and lets this guy on, it still seems like he's following procedure. It still seems like he's in control of everything. So
0: I think that's where they're going for the. He's being sympathetic because this guy's in uniform. If if he was mm. just you know in civvies, he might not have made this choice. He might have played it more safe. But because it's a military man trying to get to a wedding for a family member, he he, he sort of gives in and gives him the the free pass, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, so. At this point, it doesn't really make much... Uh, cause, cause I think what was surprising to me is that very, very quickly we're actually getting towards Anchorage. They, they do a whole sort of like bit of plot here where they get someone who is from the military in Anchorage to sort of talk him down because they don't have uh, the, the same tech or whatever in Anchorage, so they have to talk him down to do a very, very bad storm. So mm-hmm. they've got this like experienced guy who's going to talk him down and the captain's going to fly the plane and land it. But I was kind of surprised that about halfway through the movie, oh, we're landing in Anchorage. Like, I thought that was going to be the ending of the movie. But so here we mm-hmm. are, we're 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 coming down. And I actually thought the this set of sequences back to back is some of the best stuff in the movie because there's a random other little plane. Because it's a storm and because this little plane's radio is dead, they're just flying through the storm with no care in the world. Right. And what happens is, is at a certain point, air traffic control spots there's a a second plane somewhere in the vicinity and like, hey, this plane's right next to you. This is really dangerous. So we get this whole thing where Heston's starting to have to make choices based on where he thinks this other plane is, but he can't see it. And there's a couple of great shots once this starts happening where where we can see, the audience can see where the other plane is and, and it's like right underneath them. And I thought this was quite a good little tense sequence. Oh, yeah this is where i was talking about with like the very quick cuts
1: back and forth because not mm-hmm. only are they trying to land at this point which is already zero visibility but there's another plane at the same time so you're able to cut between like the gauges that show how low they are how much fuel they have left and then also this radar sweeper in the flight control that shows these two dots just converging into one very well done tense sequence i d I'd don't have any problems with that at all.
0: It was a good, My... spin, it was a good spin on it as well, though, because like I feel like mm-hmm. we've all seen dozens, if not hundreds, of tense airplane landing scenes, right? Yeah. It's a very common trope in movies, and I feel like this this thing of like landing in a storm also done a lot. It's usually a staple of it. Yeah. But this idea of having this other plane just possibly being something they could hit into at any point, and having to make these sort of blind calls, I thought added an extra bit of space to it. So I, I really enjoyed mm-hmm. that that sequence yeah
1: no for sure um the only thing that i would be like a little bit iffy on is the fact that when they are coming in for the landing they say we are on fumes we are out of time we have to land now but they still end up having him pull away and it's not like he has to do like a full go around Mm. again he just like kind of diverts a little bit and that's enough to shake the plane farther behind them because
0: they do suggest that they suggest i'll do a circle and come back round for a second attempt and he's like eh, we don't have fuel for that we have to go down now
1: yeah and like I get it but at the same time I don't understand why they didn't if they were keeping speed with this tiny passenger plane why didn't they just reduce speed more because that's in the end what ended up happening is they pulled off to the side and like just reduce speed enough to see where the plane is and then keep a visual on it
0: you know yeah. Uh, I feel like I'd have to know more about flying a plane to answer this oh well, I, yeah I guess my assumption in the moment was that they have to keep up speed to just land as quickly as possible. And maybe the the fuel burning versus, like, you know, like how much fuel they're burning going a little bit faster is is worth the trade-off of getting to the ground quicker versus, I don't know, like, I I could be talking complete nonsense here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But (laughs) either way, it it forces them to make some risky moves that he wouldn't be making if it wasn't for the fact that, oh, shit, we have to land right now and we can't see this other plane. Yeah, absolutely. I
1: I guess for me, it's when they say negative on fumes, the fact that we delay it and it still causes no consequences, I just wanted a little bit of, like, something that's acknowledging the fact of, okay, now we're really, really on fumes or something like
0: that, you know? Yeah, I suppose if you're out of fuel as you're landing, I suppose if you're already close to the ground and you're in the right trajectory, it's probably okay, but probably bumpier or something. Maybe they could have had more of a... Mm. I don't know, a, a rocky sequence. But obviously, they can't damage the plane too much because it's meant to take off again. So they have to, sort of, I don't know. I, I, yeah. they're, they're basically just doing the ticking clock, but we just can't see the yeah. numbers. And It's, they're, it's they're, the
1: they're... midpoint action scene
0: because yeah. this is pretty much exactly smack dab in the middle. It's the midpoint
1: action scene to keep you interested.
0: And I think even the stuff that comes right after this, which is where we just fully reveal who the bad guy is, that is James Brolin's character, Jerome. Um, Weber uh, is what they called him mostly the times his last name he mm. like the cellist tries to confront him basically here uh, and it's when he stands up with his bag and obviously he thinks oh that bag's probably got the the bomb in it he right. basically yells out that, you know, to grab him and a bunch of the passengers do so and I will. I mentally. I really enjoyed this part of the movie, but I did think it was a little bit funny that James Brolin apparently knows some martial arts moves. Oh because my god! The, the way he was hitting people was very like I've seen some kung fu movies, and I'm going to emulate how they move. That's what it looked yep. like. He, so. he
1: did like the open palm hits and yeah. stuff like that, and he was like throwing these snap kicks everywhere. Oh, it was. It was. If we kept that up for the rest of the movie, <laughs> if him just having to kung fu fight his way through the plane, I'd love it.
0: But I enjoyed the uh the sort of the the the, the chessboard, if you will, of this part of the movie, which is he pulls out a grenade, he's got the pen out of it, and he's like, okay, well, everyone has to do what I say, otherwise we're all dead anyway. Yeah. And you know, it involves him getting up to the cockpit, holding the captain and all that, and demanding certain things, like he sees like flight crew, but they're clearly like, you know you know policemen or or soldiers disguise this flight crew because they've got weapons hidden and things like that he's like no no get rid of all these people get rid of them all but obviously when he's at the front of the plane looking out the cockpit windows he's not seeing the back of the plane so like the the captain's like slyly told angela right in front of him to search down there because anything could slide down there get it wink wink so sure Mm -hmm. enough like All the economy part of the plane all actually get evacuated at this part of the movie because they open the door, get the the big slidey shootout, the big inflatable one, and just get them going. Like, go, 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 go. So a lot of the plane gets evacuated and it ends up just being the first class section that remains when they they go back in the air, which I thought, okay, that's quite smart because you've narrowed it down to just the ones that you've kind of introduced. Admittedly, at this point, I thought they were going to do more with them after this part. But at least in the moment, I was enjoying the the logic of that. It felt like it made sense at at this part of the movie, that these were the ones who were being left behind.
1: I, I get it from the viewpoint of the senator, the pregnant woman, and the cellist. Because the pregnant woman, they explicitly say, like, she should be off the plane, but she... Is in
0: labor at this point so she's there's no way she's going to be able to go actually out. on that being in labor mm-hmm. obviously she's met, she's not maybe in labor for another month right which is why i guess it's okay that she's flying although i feel like modern days an eight-month pregnant woman still wouldn't be allowed to fly yeah probably. But, not. uh but there was one of the little direction moments i really liked here and this is kind of the moment that kind of shocks her into labor uh is when he pulls out the grenade when he first pulls it out the shot you get off it is like his hands like in the middle of the frame and then right behind the grenade is the pregnant woman staring at it. So I really like that they showed the most, you know, quote unquote, vulnerable or innocent person on the plane mm-hmm. right behind the threat of the grenade. I thought that was a really good yeah. visual touch. No, it was a good shot. Um, but yeah, no, then the
1: the senator makes sense because what well, we find out, you know, he wants to go to Russia. So that makes sense. And then the cellist is just because they've been kind of, Not buddy-buddy, obviously he's just been playing nice, but he's the one who's most closely related to all this. Everyone else I thought probably could have been evacuated, but then we have the vet basically go through and say, here's the reason why you all are my best friends and we're going to keep around. And he, I mean, throughout this, I know it's 70s, he just casually drops the N-word when he talks about his cellist friend and I'm like, okay, all right, guess we're doing that now. I mean,
0: he is clearly unhinged as well. Oh, yeah. uh... Absolutely. Is this a good time to start talking about his... uh... I Yeah, His I guess. Fantasy.
1: So, His flashback slash fantasy. Well,
0: yeah, that's the thing. It plays like a flashback the first time because it's kind of similar to the other little flashbacks we get. But by the time you get to the end of the movie, I think it's very clear that this was always a fantasy. This, this is what he felt he was owed, right? Mm-hmm. That after he served in the military, probably during Vietnam, I would imagine, yeah, given that, the time period. Yeah, that's
1: the blurb on IMDb says a uh,
0: disgraced Vietnam vet. There you go. So. Um, he imagines him going to the ceremony with... It's silly, like a ridiculous amount of American flags. I've never seen so many American flags <laughs> so close together before. Um there's, there's some in the foreground, there's a big one behind this little stage he's going up to, there's uh, ones at the side. But mm-hmm. it's like no, it's all people in uniform giving him a medal and like basically giving him a a, a parade and a welcome, a ceremony yeah. for his duty um overseas. And when you get to the end of the movie you realize this was just a fantasy and that's what he felt he was owed. Because his plan is to get the plane to go to Moscow, mm-hmm. and when he gets when they're landing in Moscow, he like talks to you know whoever's on the other end of the line in Moscow and says, "Okay, on this plane, there's a federal agent. We'll talk about that in a minute because they yeah. get, they get on board in this middle part of the movie, and there's a senator, and I'm you know, I'm joining you guys. I'm 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 I'm, I'm, I'm converting over to uh, the Soviet because America didn't appreciate me." and that's his plan and you see him fantasize again when he's looking out the window right towards the end of the movie where he sees the same thing as before the exact same stage the exact same layout of people in uniforms giving Mm. him this warm welcome this hero's welcome except it's all Soviet flags now (laughs) and that's what he was was thinking America didn't appreciate me so maybe a Soviet Russia will (laughs) And that's kind of where we get to at the end. So that, yeah. that sets up that he is very delusional and he believes he is owed uh, yeah, pomp and he, circumstance, I guess.
1: There's also this recurring theme where basically whenever he's told like, oh, you have to let this go or like this is going to have to happen, he specifically says like, no, it's mine. It belongs to me. It is yeah. It is my thing. So it does feel like you're saying he feels owed something. He feels like he he wasn't given the respect he was deserved. And also, there is one little thing that shows up in both his fantasies, and that is his parents, theoretically. There's an older man and woman, and it seems that the father is just, no matter what, like, shaking his head in disapproval, more Mm. or less. So I think it also goes back to, like, some daddy issues or something like that. Uh,
0: wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it was actually when he first said he wanted to go to Moscow because he doesn't say it for first year. He says that he wants to play in refueled, and Heston's like, "Oh, where are we going? We need to know where we're going. We need you know to know it's safe and all that." Um, and when he eventually says Moscow, that's where I thought, because it's not until later on where you find out he wants to. Uh, uh, what's the word for jump jumping ship? Uh what's
1: the word for it? Jump? You mean like changing sides or like yeah. just.
0: Oh God, I know so, it. Specifically in a like a like a, in a sort of country sense, like it's like uh, treason. I mean, yeah, it's tr- I suppose it is, but that's not the yeah. word I'm looking for. I'll, I'll uh, find defect. it. Defect. Defect. Yes, defect. That's, that's the word I'm looking for. Defect. Mm-hmm. There you go. So you don't know he's going to defect. That's what his plan is at this point. And this is where I thought: is he going to do like a terrorist attack on like the Kremlin or something? Is that is that oh, where this is going? And I okay. and and that's where I was thinking, oh, maybe this is why this movie's been like hidden is because this is basically a movie about an American doing what happened at 9-11, but to mm. someone else. Uh, obviously, that's not where it goes. But for a second, I thought, oh, man, is that where this is going? Uh, yeah, I could. I, I To
1: be fair, that wasn't the when you were talking about it, I thought you were thinking like maybe because of the senator plot, there was going to be like some attack on D.C. or something. But mm. yeah, no, that makes a lot more sense from the Russian standpoint of why yeah. they didn't do the re-release.
0: So, obviously, that's not where it goes, but it's what I thought of when he was saying Mm -hmm. he wanted to go to Moscow. Obviously, what it ends up being is... It's still pretty interesting. I think the back half of the movie suffers somewhat, though, because once they're in the air again, uh, I would say that there's not as much interesting stuff happening until they land. Yeah. That's the big problem with the back half, I think.
1: You got the birth of the baby, which it's just completely fine like there's no problems with it at all save for it's happening on a plane yeah and everyone's just like it's a baby
0: hooray it it feels like something they should be cutting back to constantly as there's some other crisis going on up front so it's like Mm -hmm. ramping up the tension but instead they just sort of say it's happening and they're getting ready to give birth and then the next time we see them oh there's a baby now (laughs) like it just happened off screen okay that's a beautiful
1: baby boy literally nothing is wrong with him everything's cool have fun with that Um, and then the, the bit is they're trying to actually talk to the Soviets. They're trying to get like clearance and explain the situation, but the Soviets aren't answering. So as they are crashing into Soviet airspace, they're immediately greeted with four fighter jets, which I think is theoretically a very tense scene, but I also like, I don't know. For me, it, it just seemed so much pomp and circumstance of showing these jets flying around like for five minutes straight. And I'm like, all right, after the first minute, they're not going to blow you up. Like They would have done it yeah, already. I, I don't I, feel like I'm
0: scared anymore. I think they had to ramp up the idea that the Soviets wouldn't really care that there's some innocent American passengers on this plane. They would just play it mm-hmm. safe and just destroy it in case it was going to do something bad to their country, right? Like right. They, they would be far more just willing to just I oh, just blow it up. It's the easiest solution to to everything. So that should be where the tension is coming from. Here is that you're now you're debating between the madman who's hijacked the plane and a foreign government who actively might not care about the well being mm-hmm. of the people on the plane. And it's kind of you know, between a rock and a hard place. And they, re- I think they should have really played that up. It should have been really this idea of trying to balance both sides of that, so that the people in the middle who are trying to fight for their lives, and you know, led by the captain specifically. Mm-hmm. trying to... This is where I it feels that like the movie fails to do what it could have done with a lot of its premise Yeah, uh, is, is this part of it. I do think that once they land, though, um, there is some fun to be had because once, you know, he has this fantasy where he looks out the window and he, he imagines this podium and the flags and all that, he then kind of, like, reality bleeds into his fantasy and he notices that all the Soviets are actually hiding behind vehicles with guns and, like, they're clearly... Right. They're treating them as a is a potential threat and he sees uh, that as a no, as sorry a, go a, ahead yeah. a disrespect i guess yeah he sees that it was, as a, you know
1: there was a bit that we skipped over briefly um so when all of the people are just dis- boarding the plane everyone from economy is leaving the plane um and they're waiting for the refueling a bus full of photographers drive up yes yes and we've already gotten during his fantasy of um him being greeted like given the parade or whatnot by Americans that he kind of has this, I, I don't want to say PTSD, but like it's a trigger for him. These like flashing light bulbs and stuff. So when the photographers come up and are all taking pictures, he just goes out the door and shoots at the van. And it's never clearly said whether or not he kills the guy, but yeah, he probably kills. It, the looked,
0: guy. it, it looked like he did. It looked like he yeah. it shot one of them in the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also, I like that as well as every time they opened the window or the door on the plane, Mm -hmm. This part of the movie when they're landed is that it's like a storm outside, so it's like there's always just this wind and rain coming in. Oh, yeah, it really gives it a vibe, miserable for the cast. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. But I really enjoyed the vibe that gave that whole section. The other thing Mm. that happens in that section before they take off again is that at the back of the plane, they sneak someone into the cargo area, right? uh, And this is the proposed federal agent, although he later denies that he's a federal agent, but I think he's just like. The Soviets yeah. would love to love to have well, a, a federal agent. Captive. Yeah, no. When
1: they, when they land in Russia, they specifically tell him like, "Hey, ditch your federal agent ID and whatnot." And he's like, "What do you mean? I'm just a like a fisherman or something like that." And he's like, "That's the spirit." I think it's supposed to be a joke. I don't think it's actually him like denying it for this guy's sake you know
0: yeah for sure i i think what he's basically saying is no no we thought ahead we knew that we we knew the destination was russia so i made Mm -hmm. a point of not bringing any id on me yeah that makes sense (laughs) yeah I, i think that's maybe what he's getting at uh so that sets up that stuff and then yeah once they land though and reality creeps in James Brolin just gets very upset. He just starts getting mad that they're not treating them like a hero. He thinks he's going to be welcomed because, oh, he's defected and brought them a plane full of, like, Americans they can interrogate. So he mm. just grabs his grenades. And this is around here as well where he reveals to the captain that there was never a bomb. All he, he had a few grenades in a bag, but he never had an actual bomb.
1: Right. So can I just want to analyze that statement just for yes. a minute here. Like, yes, okay, there's not, like, a briefcase bomb. There's not something with significant amount of explosions. But I'm going to assume and mm-hmm. again I don't know aeronautics I'm not I'm not familiar with that branch of physics and science but if you explode a grenade in a pressurized plane I think we all still die
0: no I, I think you do in yeah. the air I think it still causes enough damage that the plane is going to crash that's not yes. a, that is not I think in, in dispute but i think they just say
1: like oh it's just a couple lousy grenades i'm like bro one of those and everyone here is dead i think it still counts as a bomb at this point
0: i think no but i think the distinction they're making in this and this is fair is that he's got this this button in his hand the whole time where he could press it right at any point and it'll set off the quote-unquote bomb if it was just the grenades in a bag like he couldn't really you know, the, the threat looming over everyone of him setting them off at any point wouldn't be there unless he was literally just mm. holding that grenade, like he was for a little bit earlier on. If he was just holding that in his hand the whole time, the threat right. itself wouldn't be there in the same way. So, mm. uh, like, I, so I get why he lied, I get why he was making it look like he had this sort of more, right. you know, designed explosive device that would be set off with a button, mm. but. Um. yeah but anyway he's, he gets his belt of grenades on he gets his gun loaded up and he just starts making a last stand he just wants to fight the Soviets now for disrespecting them <laughs> uh, yep. so the end of the movie after Heston's got everyone else off the plane Heston remains on to try and take on the bad guy he gets shot in the chest for his troubles but seemingly is going to survive mm-hmm. Uh. he is carried away by Russian medics at the end of the movie which is basically when the credits start rolling yeah. Um, and that's basically it. I did like though that when they shoot the bad guy, um, he falls onto his grenades, and one of them goes off, and it's not this big explosion. It's just kind of this like loud bang, yeah. and like a it's it's like his body just sort of goes up for a second, and then. If anything, it seems like again. a
1: more realistic explosion. It seems like what would probably be an actual grenade explosion.
0: As opposed to a typical movie grenade where there's a big flame ball yeah. or anything, yeah. it yeah, felt when the like... car explodes and it's just the entire inferno that takes up everything. But it, in a weird way, it almost made it a bit funny to me, just to see mm-hmm. his body go, and then fall back down again.
1: Yeah, uh, it's, it's, uh, gr- it's grim, but it is definitely a strange moment because he gets shot so much and then all of a sudden just... It's it's a, it's almost a comedy beat in any other movie.
0: It almost does, uh, but I, I I really enjoyed the last ten minutes, and I, I think I enjoyed the first probably hour of the movie. I think once they're back in the air after they've refueled, I think at that point it does kind of suffer and doesn't manage to like you know th- them landing the plane in Alaska was such a good you know thrilling set mm. piece that I was really hoping for a bit more of that once they were getting into Russia with the the threat of the other planes and whatever the Soviets might do to them. And they just never really captured that. They never really made me feel like there was a problem or a big deal there. Yeah.
1: I mean, that was... That's kind of what I wanted more out of the Charlton Heston character here, is that when we got to the end, he kind of just threw on the hero pants. He kind of just, like, stood up and was like, all right... I'm uh, Even though this federal agent, it is literally his job to take care of this guy, I'm going to punch him in the gut and, like, make my stand against him. I'm going to make sure everyone else is clear. I, I like that from a plot perspective. I like the fact of them going through and giving him that hero moment, but I don't feel like it was earned. I don't feel like because that middle section was just him blindly following the orders of this guy without any sort of backstory. It just didn't feel like he earned the fact of he's able to now take this federal agent out and take his place, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. It felt like a bit of a leap here at the end when we hadn't really set that up in the character. Actually, on the federal agent, there's was, there a was the whole thing once they're back in the air mm. where the captain and that know that he's there and they're like try to like, open this like panel on the floor to get to him. And right. this is maybe actually a realistic thing, but every other movie that's ever been made that's an action movie set on a plane has told me that people can sneak around in the bottom part of the plane and mm-hmm. like it's perfectly fine here they're like no no if he's down there while we're in the air at this altitude because downstairs it isn't heated like the you know the, the the cockpit and the you know where all the passengers are then he'll freeze to death we have to get him yeah. out so when they get him out he's got like frostbite and he's like you know he's shivering he's he's Like, basically, this federal agent has accomplished nothing in this movie. He's just gotten injured.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think it was more so... Again, it's one of those things that it felt like it was there to up the tension, because when it's revealed there's this federal agent who snuck on, James Brolin is immediately pissed off. He's like, oh, this is my plane, you can't do that. But, again, it doesn't end up being anything. Everything that's brought in here doesn't end up
0: being anything by the end. I I think that's a fair statement. Uh, But... but, Mm -hmm. uh, I think this is a plot movie first and I think as a plot mm. movie first and a character movie distant second, I think mm. it was working for like 60% of the movie and then it, it kind of floundered in the back half, which is you know what I said right at the start. Uh, although I do think there's some fun stuff at the very, very end when Brolin goes a bit nuts and starts mm-hmm. to try and take on the Soviets on his own. Um, I got a good chuckle out of that. Uh, admittedly kind of in almost schlocky B-movie territory with how it's handled but yeah, I, I do think the direction's pretty solid especially that set piece in the middle with the, the landing in the plane um, mm-hmm. in Alaska the The handling of that the, the flying through the storm and the other plane I think just shook it up enough from the usual you know generic version of it that I was like okay there's, there's, it's got it's own little bit of space here that's not usually yeah. there and I think it's making it entertaining and maybe it helps that You know, season two of disaster, 70s disaster movies, (laughs) has been definitely a lower standard overall than season one. Yeah. Right? Turbine Inferno, really solid. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think Juggernaut was not perfect, certainly weaker, but everything since then has been definitely in the middling to, in the case of Cyclone, just disastrously terrible. (laughs) Yeah. So... I think this maybe benefits a little bit from what we've been watching throughout this season up until now, but mm-hmm. I would say it's worth it. If you like this type of movie, I think there's enough here to make it worth the watch. It's just, by the end, it's probably not going to stick with you the way that a, a standout would...
1: Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that I've always had a problem with these disaster films is when they're bad, it always feels like they're overstaying their welcome. It feels like they're Mm. padding things out and just to get like this longer epic runtime rather than just telling whatever story they had. This one doesn't have that. This one, it was like an hour 45 minutes. I felt like it justified its hour 45 minutes. I just don't think that they spent the time as wisely as they could have. I think that they focused on the wrong things for a lot of it and like I said, my biggest problem was I felt they overplayed their hand 20 minutes into the movie. And so where you were saying you were having fun trying to figure out who it was, I felt like I already made up my mind. And then when I was proven to be correct, I was like, well, all right.
0: uh, Let me correct that a little bit. I was having fun watching the characters try to figure out who it was. Okay, fair enough. I wasn't necessarily trying to figure out who it was, but I was having fun with the characters figuring it out um for me that wasn't an issue i didn't really care that it was obvious who it was and like i said i just kind of assumed it was a red herring and if anything i was kind of surprised oh it's just him okay fair enough mm. um f- for me the actual events of the movie were actually pretty fun to watch for the first like 60 percent, and then mm. the cracks kind of started to show and maybe even an extra 10-15 minutes of character stuff in the back half would have helped would have helped mm-hmm. with like building the tension of like re- reminding us who might die if the Soviets decide to shoot everyone. Would yeah. be a, would be something worth doing, you know. There's a whole moment actually when the uh, co-pilot is leading them out down the stairs, you know, getting them off the plane before the final standoff, and he's walking out with his hands up because he's like, "Hey, if the Soviets think we're a threat, they may just shoot us all. We have to play safely here." And yeah. I thought, oh, this feels like it should be more tense. Like, it almost deflated the tension that all the passengers coming out weren't doing the same thing. I thought they should all be holding their hands up. And I thought the drama was going to come from the fact that one of them's holding a baby and can't put their hands up. And like they, they were yeah. all going to have to be like, no, 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 she can't put her hands up. She's holding a baby. Like, just like, it's a baby. <laughs> just calm yeah. down,
1: calm down. I, calm down. <laughs> I feel like the, the biggest thing with the back half of the movie is the problem of it feels like this is how people would actually react. Everyone is scared and panic and, like, they're just trying to get to the best possible situation without making any sort of stupid decisions. But, like, that's boring. That's, that's not <laughs> something. I wanted to see somebody overreact. I wanted to see something cause a problem. But the only one who's doing that is James Brolin's character, and he's just sequestered up in the cockpit. Like you're saying, if just one Russian soldier fired a shot, thinking, like, oh, that baby might be a bomb or something immediate tension up. Immediately, I'm caring about these characters and what they're doing. But instead, it's like, no, the Russians are trying to play along here. We're all trying to be cool. Everything's cool, guys. And I'm like, no, someone do something.
0: Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Like I say, I think the first half's better than the second half. Mm, I, I'll agree with that. It, it, I, it never rose to what it did in the first half. and I'm not saying it was like an amazing movie in the first half, but I think it was doing a really solid job at the the, the plot it was having. And it seemed like a really fine sort of on TV kind of movie where you could just have on the background and enjoy the thrills that it was was given to you. Um, but yeah, clearly, clearly, I'm not as negative on it as you are. But oh yeah, it, you know, it, it's it is what it is. Um, I guess we'll get to the ratings and see exactly where we where we land on this one. No pun intended, because <laughs> it's a plain get. No, it? I get it.
1: Ah, uh, it. Clever, Pete. You did it. You made a pun. Um, All right. So if I had to rate it, I guess the real question is, do I think it is like above that midpoint? Do I think it's above a five? I'm going to say yes. I Mm -hmm. think that it does have the competence behind it that I think it is above the midpoint, but I can't really justify much above that because I think it just squanders a bit too much of what it had potential wise. They set up these characters and do nothing with them. I think that the tension scenes are really good, but it's almost perfectly balanced out by how hokey, like, these flashback scenes to Charlton Heston's love life are.
0: Um, I, I, I do not even feel any to mention them because it's, like, just these two moments where he's having a yeah. kiss or a swing date. <laughs>
1: but, like, it bothers me because
0: that's the kind
1: of development I wanted for everyone else. I wanted them to see, like, what were their lives leading up to now? Why should I care about them? But nobody else got them, and it was just focused on, like, Nah, Charlton hasn't so hot. He has a woman and then another woman.
0: Yeah, I, cool. I would have definitely liked more character development. I'm not, I'm not saying I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was that big a problem in the first half, though, because it just the plot itself was yeah fun enough that I wasn't really feeling like I was missing it too much. It was the second half where I'm like, yeah, we could be doing some smarter stuff here with everything that we've, we've set up. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh. Uh, so overall, I think I'm just going to square it down to a 5.5. Slightly above average, but not anything above that
0: okay uh yeah i think for me this is a this is a neat little six you know i'm not rating it that much higher than you uh mm-hmm. i don't think it's a great movie or anything but i think it does a few things well i think if the second half had lived up to the first half yeah i would have maybe been shooting for even something as high as a seven i may have been saying you yeah, know this is actually good um mm-hmm. because it didn't know and because yeah there are these things that we've been critiquing I, I think it sort of whittled down to a six over the course of that that last 30 40 minutes right but um still not a terrible time though i would definitely recommend it over a bunch of the other movies we've done this season oh so. yeah no doubt yeah I
1: would, when i'm staring down my ratings of a 3 and a 1.5 this season yeah
0: <laughs> that this still feels like a real movie i guess mm-hmm. is, is what i'm what i'm saying so there you go that is skyjacked i guess we have to decide if it's making the cut or not
1: I mean, you know where I stand, cut from the collection. I don't think it's cut your losses. Like I said, it does have good tension, oh, good directing f- at pints, but I, would, I think I, it is cut from the collection.
0: I would have argued against, yeah, cut your losses or anything lower than that. that that's far too harsh. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'm happy with cut from the collection. I think... Like, like, I could maybe argue for cutting the close, maybe, but it's it's mm-hmm. so kind of on that cusp that I, I think cut from the collection still feels kind of fair. Uh, if I'm mm-hmm. being... You know, if, if I'm being like the, the harsh and saying no, no, only X and above gets in. Right. Then I'm happy to say that's still. Uh, I, I'm almost establishing this is the, the the tippy top of the cut from the collection.
1: No, that's tier. fair. That's reasonable. It's almost at a six, and I think every other time we did a six, it's either been like cup the collection or cutting it close for yeah. sure.
0: So. So there you go. Next time on Collector's Cut, Seventies Disaster Season Two continues with the penultimate Ooh. episode. And It is a little number called Avalanche, so we're getting some snow next episode.
1: I, I know nothing about this one. Do you know if it's good? Like, do I have <laughs> to get? Do I have to do this again?
0: I think Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand did an oh, episode on it. No. <laughs> Can
1: I watch that version? No, 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 no! You
0: have to uh, watch the vanilla version. That's that's the rite of passage great. to talk about it on this show fantastic love it happy for it <laughs> so yes avalanche is up next uh, and i mentioned earlier we do some bonus shows on patreon so if you do want to check out those uh every patron gets access to the criterion cut every month uh which is the show where we talk about movies from the criterion collection uh this month uh, we did a samurai film called samurai rebellion And uh, that was an interesting film. So if you want to hear us Mm -hmm. talk about it, you can go get that on Patreon. Uh, The other show we do is Extra Reels, where we do kind of the opposite of that, which is some of the worst things ever made. And uh, this month, we've got uh, a a little doozy called Mac and Me. That's uh...
1: Pete, I'm just looking at this here. I'm going to have to do Avalanche and Mac and Me on the same week. (laughs) Like they are releasing simultaneously. Why
0: have you done this to me? Hey, the patrons voted on that Extra Reels episode, so they oh. they chose Mac and Me. Fair enough. How dare you? I blame you, patrons. Mac and Me is, the, is probably the oldest... Oh, let me rephrase that. Mac and Me is the, is the movie on Extra Reels. Of all the movies on Extra Reels, it's the mm-hmm. one I saw the youngest. Because I saw Mac and Me when I was okay. like six years old. And I don't think any other Extra Reels movies come close to that. So... I have never seen it. I've seen clips. I know what I'm
1: getting into, but I've never watched the whole
0: thing through. So, I mean, I have, but I was under the age of 10, so I probably thought it was great at the time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> You're just going to be hit by a wave of nostalgia. It's just going to be like, oh my God, my childhood returned from me. I love this little <laughs> creepy alien thing.
0: So, yeah. Also, me and David do the Atomic Cinema Experiment, the sci-fi movie podcast, which is also most weeks, uh, much mm-hmm. like Collector's Cut. Uh, this very week we, we did uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes uh, yes. this week so uh, you go check out that and uh, look for episodes coming out so if you enjoy me and David talking about movies there's even more of it to enjoy but that is the show everyone thank you very much for joining us we always appreciate it keep watching movies and if you can get it it's always nice to have Diplomatic Immunity Diplomatic <laughs> Immunity